So. What are we even doing today? This is crazy. This whole thing. This whole like. All of it? Yeah, it's fucking wild. You don't know the half of it, bro. I know the half of it. <laughs> I know more than half. Like three quarters? Yeah. Give or, give or t- I know three quarters <laughs> of it. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Pancon Podcast Ooh. with Mike Beltran. Why have we never had you do this? I'm here with Nick Jimenez, the editor-in-chief of Cigar Snob Magazine. <laughs> and... <laughs> I can't even do that. Carlos Carluba Rodriguez. Uh, and, oh, the, and this guy. Yeah. You know, uh, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but when you were doing that, you... Uh, your voice sounded like George Carlin. Oh man, that's it really a did. Compliment. I know. I, if, I, if someone ever told me that, I'd be God. like, "Wow, that's a, I one of the best compliments." That. I don't deserve that. Carlos, do you have a light? Yeah, I do. No, but really, I, I was. Uh, Thank you. I. Uh, you said it was like some sweet. lilt huh? in that's your, it? in the tone, and I was like, "That sounded like George Carlin." Can I? Uh, let's talk about what's happening. So, we're recording a podcast at 10.40 at night. You tell me. You're the one with the watch. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> 10.40. You are correct. And uh, by, by the way, do we want to shout out your sponsor? Uh, oh, Casio. Yeah. Yeah. Today's episode is sponsored by Casio Watch. The Alarm. What? What does this say? Alarm, Mega 2000? Chrono. Water resistant. Oh, the WR. water is the best one. Wow. Yeah. It's a time bingo. I just massified the little calculator. And oh, then you'd be set. Then I'd be set. In Daya. In Pass me that cutter. No, yeah, it's 10, 10.40 at night. We decided to... Uh, After a nice long day. Nice long day. First day of Miami Spice. For those of you outside of the city of Miami... Who aren't Miami, spicy enough. Who aren't spicy enough. Know. Miami Spice is like restaurant week, but it's two months long in Miami. Is it really two months? It's, yeah, it's two months. So you get three courses for $39 at the bargain base price of $39. And uh, You sound very excited about this. You know, honestly. Uh, yeah, what's the deal with and, Miami Spice? And I, all, wait, I, I no, hear no, chefs and all, talk the way you do about it. And no, then, I mean, but you haven't even started talking about it. What do you mean? Well, just the, I just said the, one you thing. Know, the, it's not the me intonation, talking about it. You're, you were kind of sarcastically. I'm just, it's been a long fucking day. Give me a chance. Okay, okay. Sorry. Honestly, I, 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 I'd love to hear what. I believe in the program. Whoever doesn't believe in the program is a fucking moron. I mean, sure. August and September are the two slowest months of the year. Whatever you can do to drive traffic to the restaurant is important. Yeah, your food cost is going to be high, your labor cost is going to be high, but if you're creating revenue, that's better than not. Is it one of those double-edged swords? You know, yeah, it is. Absolutely. So, you know, we don't, we don't skimp here. Actually, the entire, like, the first and last course are completely family style, so you get everything on the menu. Uh, you get choice of an entree. It's a fucking great deal. It's How long has Miami Spice been around, you know? Oh, man. This is a great... Oh, just... I know it's like 18 years, but I only know because I, I did a show, a radio show with Linda Gassenheimer, which she is sweet. She is one of the sweetest ladies ever. But on that show is Bill Talbert, which this guy... What a piece of work that guy is. Piece of work, huh? Yeah, no, piece I mean, he was fun. Mr. Talbert. Yeah, well, he, did, was, did, he was Did, did nice, we talk about him on the last one? Is that how we... Is that how I we don't know. Him? He was a nice guy, right? But it's like... Um, you know, him, like, talking to me about how long it's been around and all that. Oh! Look at that. I got a little salad here. Got a little mango oh, business with going the on. With a service. It's a bistro tipo. Alex Gilardi, 
everyone. Thank you very yeah. much. Thank you very much, Mr. Gilardi. No, I mean, the guy was just like, uh, how great the program is and how he just kept on repeating his 18 years, you know, with Stephen Haas and how he came up with it and it otro, and I was just like, oh, my God. I got it. Yeah. <clears throat> my favorite part when he's like, you know, you can get Miami Spice brunch for $39. And I was like, sir, it's actually 23 No, no, it's $39. I was like, Ooh. I wish it was $39. Oh. And then he was like, you know what it actually says on the flyer? $23. I go, yep, because it's $23. So that was a really interesting part of the show. Uh, that so was, he knew how long Miami Spice was around. You knew what the prices were. Of course. And that's why you make an excellent Together, team. you were unstoppable. We're going to play a little cigar lighting music here because I need to light mine as well. Yeah, we like elevator music. Do you have, do you have like a preference for cigar lighting music? Um, It should feel like we're in an elevator. Okay. Like the girl from Ipanema? Oh, I like that song. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. That's good. That's if good. we can That's get that, can we get the rights to that? Music. Are we going to be allowed to use it? I think if we talk about it enough, it can become a fair use thing. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Like for illustration purposes. And so now we'll play a little cigar, uh, a little girl from Ipanema, so you can hear what good cigar lighting music this is. Ready? I mean, we can take as long as we want, but we'll play about 30 seconds of this. By the way, I'm like 25% sure that's how fair use works. For me. Is that? I yeah, have no fucking 25 clue. is not very high. I Carlos know. probably knows better than I do. Carlos? Carlos is the music business guy. Yeah, we should have consulted Carlos. Yeah, we should have. DJ Carluba. I'm fresh out of service, so I, you know, I have my gripes of the day. Okay. Gripe of the day. Airing of grievances. Let's gentlemen, gentlemen orders a medium well ribeye. Huh. The ribeye is 36 ounces. It's a tragedy to order that steak medium well. But anyways, apart from that. Agreed. That's a tragedy. Yeah. It's just like for that, don't order it. Get something else. So they order it, you know, when you order things, order fire. If there's a table of three of us. If there's one thing that takes a long time, all the food's going to take a long time unless you ask for the food to come out beforehand because you know you're the asshole that ordered a steak that's medium well. The guy orders a medium well steak. We put up a medium well steak. It's a tragedy, whatever. That's what he wanted. Mm -hmm. He already changed stuff. He wanted, you know, the sauce like this and he didn't want the cream yuca. He wanted Brussels sprouts, antelope, whatever. Fine. So then the guy complains to my manager. Doesn't like the steak. Why don't you like the steak? It's tough. Oh, it's tough because it's medium well. My bad. So then, he tells my manager, and I had to wait 40 minutes for the steak. You had to wait 40 minutes for a medium well steak? My fucking bad, because that only makes complete fucking sense <laughs> that you need to wait 40 fucking minutes for a medium well fucking steak. Because it's 36 fucking ounces. Holy. <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize we were talking about 36 ounces this whole time. It's a gigantic fucking steak. It's not like you're getting a fucking churraco, man. It's like... It's gigantic. So then he complains. He doesn't like the fuck. He doesn't like whatever. So I said, you know what? I want to, I'm going to take a piece because he only ate like a little piece and I want to try it. Is this steak really tough? And you know what it tasted like to me? A medium well fucking steak. And delicious. A delicious. Well, it was a delicious well, medium, medium well, well steak. steak. Yeah. Delicious. But you know, it's just like, why? Why be so difficult? Why be the guy at the table? Why, why? be the guy at the table? Why be the guy at the table? That, honestly, your friends at the table were probably a little queasy because you're there at the fucking so table. Here's, yeah. So here's a question because I, I'm going to say, like, I am never that guy at the table. Even when sometimes, like, there are times to be that guy at the table. 100%. But I'm never that guy at the table, even when I probably should be. The, the topic of today's podcast, by the way, I think will end up being... is loose. is loose. But I think we, what we kind of want to talk about more or less is, is Miami 
and its impact on your perspective on food and how you you know what you've done with your businesses. Um, also, another subplot is Petey the dog. But it's continue. Petey, but we'll get it. Yeah, we'll get into Petey the dog too. But the the question that comes to my mind is, what is your advice in that situation? That guy's going to be how that guy's going to be. What is your advice to the other people at the table, or like you're the you're one of the other people? How do you handle that guy at the table? Shut up, bro. You tell him shut up. Yeah, man. Don't be such an asshole. The other people at the table should tell him not to be an asshole. I just I don't know. There's a, if you don't like like there's been times I don't like some like listen I, I think that this is a little off, you know it's not a big deal don't worry about it yeah. But no, I mean you wanted to make you wanted to make a spectacle of it of the situation you made a spectacle of it. Some so some some people some people like that you know they yeah, like yeah. making a spectacle of themselves. Yeah, I have no problem. I want nothing more than a happy guest. Right. Happy guest, everyone's happy, everyone, you know, so they what, leave, they talk. To, that guy was oblivious, like, just play, to play a little bit of a devil's advocate. I feel a little bit, a little compassion for the guy. Clearly, nice. the guy was oblivious, right? So, like, if I'm a steak guy, I'd never do that. I would never go order a 36-ounce steak. You wouldn't be ignorant to the fact that it would take 45 minutes, 40 minutes to cook your 36-ounce steak medium well, you know. But clearly, this guy was oblivious. Up to, up to what point? At, at what point does ignorance kind of can you? Is it just too much? It's like, no, man, you should know. Or is you've you've waded into waters that, that are too, sh- too deep for you right now? Yeah, you know, it was clearly. Here just comes my sous chef approaching. Oh, hey some kind of information sous I don't chef want. Time. Go on. Hey, hey, hold on, come back. I just want to point out, Here. Danny just took a wonderful ten-day vacation in uh, Croatia. For oh, no wow. Croatia, for no fucking reason. So no, I didn't, none needed, none. none needed. So I, the only contact I had with Danny in his ten days that he was gone, other than complaining through emails about some things, was a video that surfaced on Instagram oh boy. of Danny booty dancing on a yacht. Hey Thankfully, I, I, Miami booty, was being represented well. Represent, you know? Yeah, it's booty dancing on a yacht. Was it your music? I don't know. I couldn't hear the But all I, someone showed me says, Chef, this is your sous chef. And I said, yeah, I mean, that, that's about right. What, this, is, this, is, this is in Croatia. This is in Croatia. So on what, a yacht. What, what music on a yacht is playing in Croatia that gets you booty dancing? No, no. Uh, we had our own yacht, so oh, it was just like our Oh, I was going to say, hip-hop. how did a Croatian DJ side? play booty? Yeah, big ballers. You heard it here first. My sous chef has a yacht. <laughs> in Croatia. He's a big deal in Croatia. He's a big deal. He's huge in Croatia. That makes sense, though. Like the president over there. I bet he's got like a booty, da- booty shaking, booty dancing. <laughs> yeah, just a small one. Right. I don't booty dance on he, that He thing owns yet. the yacht. It's the booty shaking yacht. Uh, people rent him to go out and booty shake. That's great. On the yacht. Yeah. Booty shake on the yacht. That's the guy that I always talk about that was a line cook okay, two yeah, years yeah. ago, and now, now he's a sous chef. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's and now man. he's booty dancing in Croatia. He's booty dancing. This could he's be you. Circle. He's booty dancing in Croatia. <laughs> on a yacht, guys. Oh, what, on a yacht. What, do the, what do the kids say now? This could be, this could be you, but you be playing? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, sous chef Danny. Awesome. Um, so, anyways, we were talking about the guy with the steak. Um, yeah. Listen, yeah, so I don't, at, at I don't, a certain I don't, point, you need to know. I don't, I don't think... Ignorance is not an excuse. It's, but if you're ignorant, but it happens a lot. In the just, 
don't be a douche canoe about it. I guess, yeah, you're right. Like, yeah, he, didn't, he didn't have to be a douche yeah. at the end. Oh, no, like, yeah. don't be an ass. Yeah, like, you're right. Just, like, we get it. You don't, like, Did he look like the guy that liked that kind of attention, that spectacle that you say? That he, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to comment on that. No, I, it's like, does he look like the guy, like, I don't, he no, looked, no, did he look like he was enjoying it? I or already, was he like, you know, kind I already, of shy about it? I walked over there to see his table. I already had a bad impression of the guy, so I was like, yeah, yeah he looks like a douche. And that's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's going yeah. gonna to look like whatever you thought he was before you saw him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, so I know we want to get into the Miami thing, but last thing, it sounds like you really want to get into this Petey the Dog situation. Listen, I've known you for a short period of time. Sure, yeah. You know, you never struck me uh-huh. as an individual <laughs> that would... That would have an Instagram for his dog. <laughs> Listen, and I'm just I saying, don't like, have an I Instagram. Feel... For... Petey has an Instagram. No, you, you, Petey <laughs> is a dog. You create an Instagram for your dog. <laughs> He's not very active for whatever that's. He's worth. got 62 followers. He does. He does have 62, 62 people wanting to follow your dog. Yeah. Okay. Look at you. Don't want to follow this dog. Look at him. No. He goes to bars. <laughs> he hangs no. out for podcasts. No. He <laughs> works at a cigar magazine He's, uh... sometimes. He's a world, a world traveler. I mean, so I'll just throw it out there. You can follow Petey the dog. There He's a worldly, worldly at, dog. You Shameless can follow plug. him at Petey the dog. P-E-A-T-Y, like a Petey Scotch. Like a Petey Scotch. The dog. Petey the dog on Instagram. Uh, you guys are ridiculous. He had a little bit of chicken from a quesadilla today. Oh, that's nice. So there's that. Uh, yeah, so so that's it. Yeah, you just wanted to point out that I have an Instagram for the dog. Uh, good. So, yeah, deal with it. <laughs> and now... And now Petey the dog is on your podcast. You're feeding the beast is what you're doing. He's in it. Is he an influencer, though? He's influencing at least 65 65 people. people. I'm going to read read my rant from last night. Do. Do. And I think that that's a thing to talk about. Although I I don't want to spend a ton of time on it. Oh, I I know know that everyone, we always talk about uh, the influencer thing, but I'm going to keep this one short because I don't want to. Oh, no. Go go in, man. I think we should dub July. I'm going to read. I'm reading. Yes. Yes. I think we should dub July, August, influencer month. Why, you ask? It is the slowest month of the year, the slowest months of the year, and it is spice time, so my feed is inundated with videos upon videos of foodies, that's in quotation marks, the little air quotes. Right. Uh, foodies eating at places and a table full of those lights. You know, those lights are the fake, uh, the little, it's like a pocket light for photos. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? A little anyway. LED thing. Yeah. yeah, with the circle, the ring light. Full of those lights, and it just seems like a large fucking spectacle. I added the fuck there. So, why not just go and pay and promote those places that are working hard to just stay open during the summertime? No, no. They want to know where their free shit is. Plenty of good influencers out in the world, and you know who you are. And the rest of you should be fucking ashamed of yourself. And it's just true. And it's just true. And I'm now I'm elaborating. Sure. I'm, it's true because... A lot of these people don't know anything about food anyways. So that's another thing for another problem. Our brand, I'm reading again, our brand essentially gives you and your brand credibility. Have you ever thought about that? Because it's true. The fact that you, I give you the ability to talk about my food and say that your following is important to me is giving you credibility. So my hard work and my years of work is giving essentially you're picking up a fucking Instagram page and a lot of times buying followers, I have now given you credibility. Right. Perceived or real. That's why we here don't do this. But lastly, what will you do 
What will, what will you do when and if the social media experiment dies? How will you live? That's a good question mark. I'm not saying social media will die, but it could change, right? Yeah. Well, and I think really it's not so much the social media, and this is me interjecting here, but Interject, Nick. it's not so much, I think, the, and the way that I took it is really not so much not when social media dies, but when this experiment in social media dies. Right, the influencer. When sure. the experiment. idea that you posting, yeah, so. Yeah, that's nothing new here. Talk about Miami. That's This is not uh, a rare occasion in Miami, you right. know? A lot of these quote-unquote influencers. The last quote, the last small sentence how can you have so many followers when you yourself have no idea how to lead? That's a good one. And it's, I, I can't take credit for it. It's a lyric from a song. So What song is this? Uh, it's actually the next part of my feed. Um, this guy. Whoa. 100 songs by Soul. There you go. S-O-L. Look him up. It's pretty cool. good. Whoa. Hey, now. Mess. But anyways, that was the rant. No shame. So they, 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 they literally ask... Where's my free stuff? Or do they expect oh, free let's things? collaborate. Oh, is their question. We would crazy. love our we love your brand and we would love to collaborate. They come with to you. you like if you want to be with them. And you know you know what bothers me more is because it's not inconceivable that there would be the person or the organization where there really is a value to that. You can you can absolutely you can imagine agree, of course. you can imagine that where it's like okay you've built a real following of people and by following I mean audience because uh, I what bothers me Not is that these following. that these are by and large people who want to blur the line and there's no way to blur this line in an honest way between being a marketing agency whether it's a one man market or one woman marketing agency or a small group marketing agency and being food journalists and you can't be both things. Carlos Frias is not going to run around saying like, "Hey, I'll write this story for you if we get into this quid pro quo." Like, right. no, you're either you're either offering me marketing services or you're offering your consumer information, but it's not going to be both. It can't be both. Well, if, I think if, if you want me to pay you in food, then guess what? I get to decide all kinds of other shit exactly. about how you're posting about me. You've made a great point. Yeah. And the point is that blurred line between PR and marketing, right? Yes. Or between PR and journalism. Well, because PR and marketing are very no, close no, but cousins. What, what I mean is there is a PR person, um, whoever, Fulana. Yeah. She is a PR person, but her or him pushing their brand in a certain way is blurring the line to them just marketing themselves. Mm-hmm. So essentially, this person that could be relatively new to the PR game could be charging an astronomical amount of money because they have a large following on social media. Right. But they don't know, like, they don't have any connections with the Washington Post or even the Miami New Times or the Miami Herald or the Sun Sentinel or, you know, bigger New York Times, uh, Forbes magazine, all that. They don't have, they don't, even, they don't know anyone. It's just a lot of followers on it's Instagram. It's just a lot of followers on Instagram. Yeah. But that's, like, that line is getting blurred. So I, <clears throat> very fortunate enough to have, like, a really great PR company. I have a really great publicist. They are great. They are great at their job, and they work very hard for me, and I appreciate their work. They are, they have been working, like that company has been in business for a long time. Yeah. I can understand their frustration for this, this part of the industry. And just like, I think that's why they understand my frustration about the other side. But there's also never, 
Larry Carino, just to shout him out because he does a good job. He's he's my yeah, he's uh, my guy. That's my guy. Larry's not shout t- out to you, Larry. Larry Larry's not. Larry telling- actually likes Arnold Palmer's. Just so, so, so do now I, I know. So do fun fact. Fun fact. Who about Larry if you ever Carino. see Larry on the street, bring him. Buy him yeah, <laughs> buy him an Arnold. Palmer. Don't call him Arnold Palmer. He also enjoys Long Island iced teas. Hey, Larry, Long Long Island. Island. Larry Long Island. Larry Long Island. Shout out to Larry Long Island or Long Island Larry. Larry Long Island. Oh, man. But Larry's not running around telling the consumer, oh, I'm here looking out for you. I'm here to. No, the consumer knows because everybody's being transparent about it. I'm representing Mike. I'm representing Ark or I'm representing That's And then it's on whoever he's pitched a story to to look out for whoever they're supposed to be responsible for. So, for example, Carlos Frias, you're not his responsibility. No. He's looking out for the reader. And you have a good relationship, and he respects you because of the product you put out and because he likes it and what have you. Yeah, but if I fucked up, Carlos would crush me. Exactly. Right. Right. And he's... And you respect him because he'll be doing it from an honest place and because you know that when you don't fuck up, he'll he'll sing your praises or whatever it is. Sure. So, that's my beef with it, is that you have these people who aren't being honest with with their audience... Um, you know, because I think the following thing, like, I mean, whatever, that's also just what the platform calls it, right? It tells you you have X number of followers. If it told you you had X number of, of readers, it'd be calling it readers. Like, that's just kind of where the industry landed is on that term. But, but that, that's my big beef. And it's also my beef because I am, uh, uh, you know, I'm on the journalism side of this in another industry. Yeah. But even in food, like I do run around I, and sometimes people will offer me free shit. And, you know, to be honest, yeah, we take it. Sure. But that never informs whether we were there to begin with. And there have been times where they've told us, like, oh, you're going to get free shit. And then somebody forgets to compass, and I pay $300 for a meal that was awesome, and I'll write that it was awesome. Because yeah. it was awesome. And whatever. Like, but we're what not running around like, hey, give me cigars. Give me a steak. Give me this. Give me that. Like, that's not, that's not what it is, because our obligation is to create a product that the reader who opens up the magazine is going to value. And the problem for us comes when that person goes, and this goes back to your point about the credibility that you have and the brand that you've built and how that brings value to this quote-unquote influencer. The problem for us is if we say that something is awesome that is not awesome, and I'll go back to cigars here, we will sooner just not rate a cigar than give somebody a good rating in the magazine because they're a friend. Because I don't care how close you and I are, the minute that somebody smokes that cigar five times and says, this is consistently caca, yeah. they're going to turn around and say, you know what, I'm not buying your magazine anymore. And you've lost, you've credibility. lost credibility. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I always found it rather fascinating. PD has issues. He's good. Yeah, that okay. happens every once in a while. Oh, okay. PD issues. Um, how people, writers, guests or whatever, are so quick to tell the chef, you know, wait, <laughs> or you gotta be kidding me. Oh, come on. And that's whatever, man. I mean, if you that want was my grandmother, by the way, my grandmother, need, man. my grandmother would that. go to any restaurant and she, she wouldn't even say, esto le falta sal. she would say, esto no sabe a nada. Oh man. That's, the yeah, goal of some people to say like how I would never say that at a restaurant to well, a chef. People say it. So, but then, Let's say someone says that about a chef. Man. And then that chef turns around and says, well, look, I think, let's say it's a writer that said that. I think you're writing, let's say the guy's 
super smart. You good? Yeah. And the chef turns on and says, well, you know, grammatically, I think your writing is flawed. Yeah, le fantago. Yeah, or you say it like that. <laughs> fantago. Right. You know, or, and that response, people find it like, well, you can't tell me that. Why can you tell me things about my food and I can't respond and give you a criticism in and response? Yeah, yeah. That's something that's always driven me up the wall. Do not think that I am not going to voice my opinion. Of course, the same way you are. Because that, I'm very sorry, but it's not in my nature. And so often, chefs don't. I don't know why. It doesn't make any fucking sense. Just say what you think. You don't like something, just fucking and say it. it doesn't even it. have to be you're getting it's in PC. anybody's face. It's just you're offering an opinion. You're having Correct. a conversation. But the problem is, with opinions, people feel like it's always they're confrontational. Yeah, they're being attacked. And not like me now. I mean, it's been a long day, and I just got out of service. That's, That's why I'm extra jacked up. But it's like people always feel like it's confrontational. Listen, we're just having a fucking conversation. Yeah. It's a discussion. I'm offering you a criticism to help you improve whatever it is you're doing. The same way they're doing to you, right? Exactly. Right. And I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay. I'm okay with criticism. I can disagree with you. An opinion for an opinion. Sure. But right, I, so I find it, I find I it in, interesting in the journalism world. It always boils down to like a list or a thing or a number or a star or a thing. I don't know. I'm so tired of it. It's just so tiring. Why can't I say, you made this cigar? It's fucking great. It's great. Good job. Yeah. Nice work. Sure, yeah. yeah. Or you made this cigar? I don't like it that much. Yeah. Why do we need to be like, you get a 78 in Cigar 2K? You know, like it doesn't make any sense. Uh, but th- th- there can be value there, I think. It's, I think it's more a matter of whether it's done with some kind of integrity and whether you're transparent about how you got there. Let me ask you a question. Sure, yeah. One that writes about cigars. Sure. And I know very little about your industry. I just really love smoking cigars. But how many people that write about cigars actually know in depth about cigars? I mean, that's, that's tough to say. Because, so I'll, I'll say two things. Number one, it's tough to say because there's so many people out there that if I was to try to pin a percentage on it, I mean, there's so many people with so little, people like, no-name, unknown blogs or, you know, publications that are more regional or whatever. I will say that you get more exposure to the food blogger and food influencer world just being a person on social media because there's so much of it and everybody eats because it's more visually appealing. No, but but, but really just well, because everybody eats. Like nobody's 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 not interested yes, in food. There are correct. people who will never come across a cigar blog in their in their life because they don't smoke. Cigar bloggers are geeky and they get I into the weeds. And they it. a lot of these guys are guys who have been to more cigar factories than you've been to farms. And because right. that's just what they like doing with their time, and they'll ne- they'll never make a penny from it because there are no cigar companies shelling out what some of these people are asking for for an Instagram post in food because the audience isn't as big, so there's not there you can't even pretend there's that value. Um, these get so in in cigars are a weird world because people really are into it, and they're, it's it's more of a labor of love. Whether you like what they're doing, whether it's useful, is an open question. But so don't you even find that even more frustrating that on the food side, you know, I find it pretty admirable that these guys just really love cigars I, and they'll I, go to the factories and whatever. I, I mean, there's so many food people no, if, that if, don't know where any, no, 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 or no. what it, farm names are. If what is do, that even, I could tell you, great. I was asked to do a dinner that's supposed to be like a vegetable dinner, right? And my one question was, are they planning... On using local produce. So, well, 
I don't know. Said, well, if they're not going to do it, then I'm not going to do the dinner. Really? Like, yeah, no, really, absolutely, 100%. Really? Yeah, it's just, that's game changer. That's it. Yeah. They're like, what about the other people in, in the dinner? Because I'm just going to do one course of the whatever. And I was like, I mean, I can't speak for everyone. They should want to use local produce, right? Inherently, it's like what we should want to do. But no, they could use whatever they want. They're probably going to use whatever they want. Yeah. But you would be surprised that in the cigar world, how much of a percentage of cigar media is the Andy Jambarbas of the world. Like, I wish that guys like you were dealing with a food media that looked like cigar media because they're that geeky about it. It's, yeah. People, oh, yeah. it's people who give a fuck. Yeah, they, they really do care. Well, you know, and there's, there's people in the and media. Their criticisms count. Their critiques there, count. There is people in the media, like in the writer side, that do care. You know, but I think the, the line is so blurred now in food media, like what media means to so many, like the masses, you know, bloggers and Instagrammers are. But because they're, because they're presenting themselves as media. Or, or well, as, people as, are as accepting it. Just because I present something to you doesn't mean that you need to accept it. No, but, but you need to be given a, In other words, I think there's a presumption of, let's call it a presumption of innocence. There's sort of a presumption that until I'm given information that you're full of shit, I'm going to assume on some level, and why wouldn't I? Because really, they're, they're part of how they shield themselves, and this is me, you know, part of how some of these food influencers shield themselves from that criticism is that they stay so shallow. You can only yeah. you can only give people so much reason to doubt you sprinkles. when you're just giving them sprinkles and melty cheese. <laughs> That's true. Like, like and, oh, look at that cheese and bikinis. How, the number of times that I've seen, oh, look at that cheese. Oh, the pole. cheese pull. God, like, that is who atrocious. Gives a shit about the cheese. The pole. cheese pull. The the chocolate volcano ish stuff. Right. So, That'd but if that's enough. what you're presenting. Then you're not being dishonest on the surface. The dishonesty is all on the back end of how that picture ended up being the one you posted. But that's something that's so obscured from view that the consumer doesn't have reason to doubt it the way that they might. If they don't have all the background knowledge of, let's say, like a movie reviewer. Like, oh. you know, people are familiar, like everybody's watching movies and everybody has access and you can do it all the time. You can only eat so much food in a day, but you can watch a whole lot of movies. And so if somebody sounds like they're full of shit, but it's, didn't, it's, but it's didn't easier rot, to But didn't out. Rotten Tomatoes destroy uh, movie criticisms? Uh, I don't know if it's because of the format, of it's, though. Because like, it's... Cause it, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And it's crowdsourced. I think Rotten Tomatoes may be more like, more like a Yelp. And I think that there is value yeah. to Yelp. I know oh, that you're not a Yelp man. fan. No, it's true. But I think there is value to Yelp. Like, going back to what you guys were saying, I think uh, one of the Yelp biggest leaders, differences man. between the cigar guys... But I'm not saying Yelp elite. I'm saying Yelp, Yelp like leaders. the Yelp numbers. And case in point, how many people that you really respect who you think are making a great product have shitty percentages on Yelp? I don't... I mean, I don't know. I never checked. Probably very few. Probably if you think like, hey, this guy's doing a really good job, their Yelp numbers are probably pretty good, and you end up hearing about the assholes that write a review. Where I think the value is, is in that crowdsourcing that doesn't, like an, one influencer can only have so much of an impact on that number. That's where their power is sucked out of the room. There was a great, uh, so I, I posted that on Twitter, and there's a great chef in Orlando, Matt Hinckley. Um, he has a butcher shop. He does charcuterie and stuff. And then he has a sandwich shop, too. Anyways, he's um, very witty on the Twitter. Can I read it? Is that okay yeah, with you Yeah, guys? sure. What kind of time? How, how long have we been going? 33. Cool. No, dude, I think, it goes I think we're going to abandon this Miami thing. Genuineness and, and no, authenticity, we'll man. It's, it's the, the cigar guys are way more authentic and genuine with their passion, with their interests. 
And a lot of these influencers, it's not genuine. It's coming from a very fake, fabricated place. However, the good ones, I think, can bridge a gap between the real foodies and people who kind of cursory kind of into... Right. They see that the cheese pull picture, and they'll get into it. It could act as a bridge. Well, because cheese is delicious. Right. I mean, I'm, I would and never not everyone is a super foodie craft I, like, person. I see, I see the cheese pool as being analogous, and only some people in the audience on this podcast and will know what I mean. I think, I think the cheese pool is analogous to the cigar <laughs> white ash. White ash really means nothing. Nothing. It means practically nothing, but it's beautiful to look at. Is there value to somebody seeing a beautiful cigar that burns nice with a nice tight white ash? And maybe that's what draws them, and then they get deeper into the thing? Right. Sure. That's yeah, maybe. But at some point, what you want is a media landscape where there's opportunity for people to go deeper. But here, it's just you're being led from one shallow thing to another, to another. shallow thing to another Correct. shallow thing. Right. Shallow different ways. The effectiveness of the influencer was most perfectly demonstrated by the girl with 2.6 million followers who could not sell 36 t-shirts. I did see that tweet. Oh, I, you were on that tweet. We were on that. I, same, I was in. We uh, were on the same thing. And I and I and I did a little bit. Yeah, of like, you know, you're a provocateur. Also, I'm not you a provocateur. Like, you, like, you like to go and you like to poke and stuff. No, I, I don't like it's poking fine. and provoking. It's fine. Oh, no, we got a poker provoker. Yeah, <laughs> we got a poker hey. provoker. I for, yeah. Well, oh no. What, what did I say on that one? Oh, I said something. Here I said something. But I was also on that thread about Carlos Frias's story about the flung. Um, oh, in KFC. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think these social media influencers are really more a symptom of a broader problem, which is that they're falling into something that everybody else only wants to pretend they haven't fallen into in media. Case in point, Carlos Frias does this great story. I don't know if you saw the thing, Carlos, about the KFC flung. No. So there's a, a KFC in Hialeah, and they're the only ones in the country that make flung because somebody, I forget when, I forget the, the cook's name or the chef's name, developed a recipe using ingredients that were already there for KFC stuff. Right. So they make a flung. They've been making it for God knows how long. It's very popular in the area. Um, and so he does this, uh, this story. And then Telemundo and NBC6, because NBC translates Telemundo stories, right. runs a story that looks... There's zero quotations in the story. It looks like they basically summarized, did like a, a middle school book report... <laughs> On Carlos's story and the videos and the video content, and I was the one who chimed in and said, "Hey, if this is a Telemundo story, here's the woman who who wrote this story." Yeah, I and, remember that. And she now. chimed in and she said that she had gone in person to check the facts before writing the story herself. And the thing is that this whole business, like the internet, is driven by clicks, and there's pressure on even people who supposedly she's been nominated for Emmys and shit. Right. And she wrote this story that, like, if, if I had written it, I would not share it anywhere. I would not be proud of the fact that I had done this and put my name on it. Oh, i got to read this. Uh, and and it's, it's not that you read it and you think, like, oh, this is so... It's just that if you read Carlos's thing and then you read this, it's like, oh, okay, I get what happened here. Right. She may have physically gone to the KFC and said, I heard this. Is that true? I heard this. Is that true? And, oh, yeah, yeah. and you run through the gamut of facts, and then you write your book report-style story. And there's very little meat on the bones there because there isn't an incentive. The, there's a diminishing return on, oh, let me put more time in to get even deeper into this story. Right. And that's what you hope happens. You hope that Carlos takes it X length and somebody says, okay, let me take the work Carlos has done 
and do the next stretch. Kind of like the, you know, historians writing about Abraham Lincoln. A million people have written about him. And the idea is that the next person comes along and takes all this stuff you've done and says, okay, now this person has laid this foundation for me. How much deeper can I go? Yeah, mm-hmm. Not all topics are created equal. Sure, yeah. But in this case, you, you could do more with it. Uh, maybe you end up talking to some customers. Maybe you go to a party that's serving the flung just for a little more flavor. Whatever. You could do it, take it a million different directions, but they I mean, didn't. And I get why Carlos was pissed. Um, but, but I think it's a little simpler than you jacked my story. I think, it's, I think it speaks to like a broader, bigger, deeper problem in media to which the Herald is not immune. Carlos does great work. He's not in a building of a bunch of Carloses. The New Times does a lot of garbage. There's a lot of people in a lot of... And I'm not talking about people who, like, do work I disagree with or what. I'm talking about people who will do, like, oh, here's a whole story that consists of embedded tweets sandwiched between paragraphs that summarize the embedded tweets. Yes. So-and-so tweeted this, and then... And so-and-so tweeted this, and then here's the tweet where they tweeted what I just said they tweeted. And you do that for ten paragraphs to just keep people scrolling through your ads. That's the incentive, because you have ads in your sidebar whether you're an influencer or the New Times or the Herald, and you need people to keep scrolling past those ads. It's about money. That's what it is. So really, it just boils down to money. It, money. Because so, like, why, why do they become... Why, why do I become a food influencer? Because I'm hoping to get free stuff that's money-motivated. Or I'm hoping to get some kind of advertisement. Yeah, you're hoping to build from free which, stuff to getting paid. Exactly. Which is, which is fine. As long as you're bringing real value. As long as what you're giving in exchange for that has integrity. Because you would not care if somebody came to you. The first food with an you know idea that you was a great. The you know first a, guy that did it was a big deal. You know what's a great way to put it? You know what's a great way to put it? Chef, I'd like to come and take photos of your food. Yeah. Great photos. I'll give you X amount of photos, X content. I would like to use them on my whatever in trade. And you get all the photos for free. That seems like a, that seems like a fair deal. That's a deal. That to me. Sure. That, you tell me that. I'm okay with it. I would even. I, I, but yeah. but you telling me, oh yeah, look, I got to let's collaborate. I got a deal for you, Stampingo. Yeah. I'm gonna come to dinner. Wait to hear this collaboration. I'm gonna come to dinner. You're gonna, gonna treat me to whatever I want. I wish this was a and, visual thing so people could see the hand gesture. And and then what? And then I'm gonna post it on my story. Oh my god. And it'll be live <gasps> for a whole 24 hours. Oh yeah. my god. So and, and the thing. And then yeah. After more. more? I'll post about it the next day. Oh, yeah. Before to, lunch. to me, the big problem is, and I'm not going to tell people how this went down. That's the problem for me. And then the bigger problem is saying, I pay for everything. Because, bro, you don't. You well, don't. But that's and the you thing. know, like, that's, I, I, that's I, hate, the lie. I hate to keep on griping on this it's fucking subject. It's disingenuous. Not I cannot, I cannot get over the fact of that, like, people in my shoes, not me, not me, because I've outlawed 95% of them, right? Like I said, there's a good there's good ones. There's people out there with struggling businesses that are putting out good product and working very hard. Very hard. And then you're asking them for a freebie and sometimes you're asking them to pay you. Yeah. Man, fuck that. You like and that's like coming from someone that like could be a secretary during the day. Or you're like a I don't know, man. You're a male nurse. Which there's nothing wrong with that, but stay being a male nurse. Do your thing. Don't try to get freebies from hardworking food and beverage no, people. The, uh, at the end of the day, it's just about doing, like, making sure that the integrity of your work is first and foremost. I'll, just to use Cigar Stomp as an example again, 
you know, and, and maybe I've brought it up here before, but we gave the 2018 Cigar of the Year distinction to Sin Compromiso. Yes. Steve Saka, who makes Sin Compromiso, found out that he had gotten Cigar of the Year from our putting it on our website that he was the Cigar of the Year. And when we were doing it, we even, honestly, we ran into, we had the conversation. Not like, oh, should we change it? But we had the conversation about, like, you guys, you know that giving this Cigar of the Year is not going to mean any money for us because Steve is a small company. He cannot afford to come in and just start buying up pages in the magazine as a thank you for Cigar of the Year. That is not going to happen. Okay, but it was the Cigar of the Year. And people are going to smoke it. And that's, that's what I think these influencers don't understand because they come from other worlds. They come from, I was in high school taking pictures or I was in college taking pictures and I just kind of fell into this. They don't understand that there can be real, there's money to be made in doing good work. You can succeed in that. The thing is that you have to make sure that you understand how to close that loop. In Cigar Snob's case, the loop is, we give the cigar of the year, people see the list, they smoke the cigar, they say, coño, this really is a good fucking cigar, and they'll keep buying the magazines. And if you're pissed that you weren't even on the list, it doesn't matter, because you know you should be buying ads in this magazine, because that's the magazine people respect, and you want your, if you want people's eyeballs on your product, you will pay to put them there. Then there's an honest exchange happening, where we're being honest with the consumer, you're being honest about that you paid for an advertisement that is presented to the consumer as an advertisement, and every, nobody has to lie to anybody to pull this thing off where mm. people are getting the exposure they want to get and we're providing a service to the consumer and everybody's having a good time. But these people haven't figured it out because they come from a different world. They just fell into it and they just did the shitty model that was there when they arrived and they don't know any better. Yeah, I mean, I think a Maybe lot I'm of it... being too charitable to them. But. Yeah, eh, probably. But I think a lot of it also has to do with the um, instant gratification aspect of things. Sure. You know, like the... Some you could tweet like a funny picture of something, and wake up the next day you have five zillion followers. It's a lot. It is. It's quite a bit. And half of one funny tweet. Yeah. Usually takes two. Yeah. Right. And forget it. I I don't know. I've tweeted so many funny things. I don't have that many followers. No, I mean, you just got to get lucky. And that's things. Sometimes they fall into like all this following for the smallest thing. And now that you're retweeting my shade, I might go. I like that. That was good. Here comes Captain Shade with the shade. <laughs> that was good. It was Captain Shade. It was a very shady tweet. It was th- You were throwing shade. I guess. By you all, were. By yeah. all no, respects, was. it was a shady tweet. I, and can I say, and someone asked me this Go yesterday, ahead. Twitter is definitely the best social media media. I hate Twitter so much. It's the best. It's the worst. It, to me, is I just full. a non-tweeter. You know, can I explain why? Go ahead. So I don't, I don't have cable TV. Okay. I work quite a bit. So how I catch up with, like, sports yeah. and things is Twitter. Because you're not going to do it on fucking Instagram. There are other ways. No. Uh, you... I'm sure there are other ways. Yeah, I do I'm, those other but ways. But, like, I, I, do... fall, I fall, like, for me, it's big sports is big, right? So I follow the, the writers I like to follow. Okay. I like to read their shit. And That's they cool. their stuff. Well, and especially then... if you're doing that and they're big. The guys that you like to follow and read yeah, yeah. on are big on Twitter. Then absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you use uh, sports manias? No. I'm going to recommend oh, that should. to you. Yeah. So, Belengrad. Belengrad. Men for others. Men for others. That's what we're doing. Ad majorum de gloriam. Yeah. For the, for uh, the greater glory of God. Uh, no, uh, but you may you may be into sports manias. It, it, it kind of does that where it, it uh, aggregates things according to the, the writers that you like and the teams that you're following, and it does, it does a pretty good job. 
Were we going to talk about Miami? Yes. So, so should we awkwardly transition to Miami? So wait a minute. Miami just turned 123 years old. I had no idea about this. On July 28th, uh, three, four days ago. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Happy Miami. Happy birthday, Miami. It was uh, birthday. July 28th, 1896. Happy birthday to you. July, Julia Tuttle had the city incorporated in a little hut uh, in what is now Miami Avenue and Southwest 1st Street. Wow. Crazy. Mind blown. I did the tour with Paul George. He told us where it was. I, I, I do want to get Carlos uh, and Paul George on the, on the mics oh, at man, some point. It would be great. But you would like Punk on podcasts. Let's, let's, let's awkwardly transition to this Miami subject just so that we can make good on the promises we made in minutes one, two, and three, roughly. So what I thought we might come in and talk about uh, for the bulk of this was, you know, over the course of all these episodes, we've talked about how what you're doing and how you arrived at this version of what you're doing, what your vision has been, but also where you're from. Mm-hmm. But we haven't really done a lot, especially people who aren't from here, to contextualize like how those dots are connected. This is a broad question, but when you think about what your experience of Miami was, not of your and they're, again they're all connected, but not so much of your family, not so much of um, you know your, but just of the city. How does what is it about your work product that reflects the city you grew up in and how that impacted your experience? Well, I don't know. It's a loaded question. I, th- I think... Yeah, there's uh, a lot there. There's a lot, there's a lot to consider. There's a lot of layers to that. Sure, Because yeah. it's like, um, you know, I think one of the bigger things for me is... This city offered my family so many opportunities, you know, and we, we built a life, you know, my grandparents built a life for us here. Um, and the city was so good to us and, you know, there's, it's still very good to us. So on the food side, I would say 10 years ago, the idea was to move. You go, you move, you work for someone, maybe you stay, maybe you open a restaurant there. You know, and who knows how different life would have been if I would have made that decision because I almost left twice. Where did you almost leave to? Uh, South Carolina and New York. Okay. Nice. And um, I decided to stay because I I really wanted to be a part of whatever was going to happen because there was things happening, but you never know if things continue to happen. I think my dog is dead. No. <laughs> Petey is... No, he just moved. Petey's good. Um, you know, Miami was hadn't hit like... This wave, like it just has in the last like, five years, food-wise, you know, when we had like the old, the OGs, you know, the Normans and Douglas Rodriguez is, and then Michael. Um, but we didn't know if like people were going to take us seriously, and I think I, I took. I wanted to do whatever I could to help. Put Miami on the map. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like strong. Like a food. Yeah. Map. Like, be a part of the community that did that. Right. Because there's so many great people right now doing great things. Right, but the putting Miami on the map is what you wanted to contribute to. Yes. Um, I mean, I see in your restaurants, though, your, your product of Cuban immigrants coming to the United States. And in you, on your menus, there's a frita and a burger, right? Yeah. You have a, you, you, one of your concepts is Chug's Diner, where you can get an amareba and, uh, and uh, you know, una minu- panco minuda. You know what I'm saying? Like I see, you could also that have a pancake. Is very Miami, right? T- talk a bit about how novel that is. Again, I think pe- people who aren't from here may be more accustomed. Like if you're from a New York, 
you're already used to this idea of like an immigrant community showing up and then having their cuisine and then that cuisine blending with other cuisines and then suddenly before you know it like how quickly did Viet Cajun become a thing oh yeah like that's much, a thing yeah that's what I'm saying but like relatively quickly compared to Miami's moving from Cuban immigrant community to something other than like how long did it take for people to put something other than guayaba and cream cheese in a pastelito? That was, that's a great question. Which blows my mind. Yeah, like that I... It, that it took that long. I had a conversation uh, yesterday. It took a new generation. Yeah, well, it, actually I had the conversation with Carlos Frias. And oh, we were talking about like Cuban-American food. Um, and, it, you know, the subject is very personal for me. Because I think we're in this interesting gap of time. That there's people that are like in their early 30s to late 30s to early 40s that are really excited about like a change in Cuban food or what we call, you know, Cuban American cuisine, which is just this melting pot of stuff, you know. And, you know, like what we do at Ariette, it's uh, Cuban American cuisine represents itself in touches of like Cuban food, but with... uh a very Miami landscape of product. So, my you know, Mame is Cuban, but it's also grown in Miami. You know, star fruit, um, you know, nipero. There's the area. There's jackfruit on our menu now. Like all those things are just. It's very like Miami. You know what I mean? Um, but our food influence, like at the core of it, is all very Cuban. Uh, and you sometimes you really need to find it. You need to look for it, but at the end of the day, the, the actual, the core ideology behind our food is Cuban food. So, you're part what, of that new generation too that's bringing it in. What we were talking about was like kind of like the struggle, and you have those people that are like, "Wow, you know, like Gio's pastelitos at Pastelito Papi, they're amazing, right?" And then you have the other people that are like, "Oh, I mean, you know, three seventy-five or a pastelito? Are you crazy?" Right. And then, and then you're like, "Well." This Wayaba isn't like, you know, the block of Wayaba from Sanos. Right. Like this is Wayaba from Homestead. Right. You know, that's there's a guy who picks it, processes it, cooks it down. This isn't he a brings it to us. Guayaba he block. brings it to us warm in a container. Yeah. You know, like it's just it's crazy. Like yeah. that's real. That's yeah, like real stuff. La Vieja Guardia. You know, like right. they, they're coming from a, a a reality that croquetas are a dollar. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So to them. Croquetas a dollar. Now they might not really understand, like, no, but this isn't. This is like a creative croqueta. This is a creative croqueta. This is not your standard. This is a Miamiized. No, they want breakfast croqueta. for three ninety nine, right? Which they, there there they, are places that still they, that do it, and I I go to some of them too. Yes, as do I. So, I think there's a place for all of it. What I'm saying is that we can accept all of it. Of course, you know, and and I think that I still think that we're in that interesting place that it's like it's a struggle. Like, when, oh no, that's not Cuban food. But that's Cuban food now. Yeah, right. And I can tell you that the most important thing for me personally is continuing to preserve our culture through our food. Yeah, that's that's not because was- honestly, and I was born in Hylia, right? But honestly, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you're right. The food in Cuba now is not the food that our grandparents grew up with. Correct. The food that we have here there was, now... There was food. There was food, whatever, right. The, the food that we have now in Miami is more representative of the Cuba they want to remember... Correct. ...than the Cuba that exists. Correct. Right? So when we talk about, like, 
how Miami influences you. It's so much deeper. It's a cultural connection. It's something that you want, like, you want to help continue that story. Like, for me, I look at, you know, Chugs, and it's like, you know, it's a cute diner and whatever, and we have pastelitos and we Very have croquetas. But, like, when you go to the core of, like, the, the black beans, like, that's my abuela's recipe. Now we mass produce my grandmother's recipe of black beans. Right. At a diner. And you know how difficult that is for me to, like, I have to sleep with that every day? Because am I showing her, like, am I, am I doing yeah. her honor? Correct. And everyone's like, bro, it's just a $3 bowl of frijoles. I'm like, it's not to me. Right. It's not just that. We're preserving a culture through a bowl of black beans. It's not beans. just food. Right. And when I said before at a diner, I didn't mean that like in a... In no, a, and I, I didn't take that way. Anyway, I, t- I took it like in, 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 a, in that kind of blending way, right? You, you, would she have ever thought, would you have ever thought that your grandma's frijoles would be being served at a diner? That is a good example of this, you know, that culture and it being very... The change. The change. The change. The, the evolution. What, what we're all experiencing right now is... Not not the shift, but the growth of a culture. And maybe it's the growth that they were never able to have. Right. Maybe it's the growth that that country always wanted. The evolution. Right? But they couldn't. And now maybe we're experiencing it because now you have a bunch of... But it's 30- unique to here. It wouldn't be the same thing. No, you're right. It, it, would be, it would be a different shift, but we're still experiencing it's the right. evolution. It's right. So now you have the inevitable evolution of the food of the culture. You have is happening here in Miami, right? Right now, younger, thirties, forties. You know, Eileen, uh, uh, George, what he's doing at Salau, the people from Dos Croquetas. Like you're seeing people that want to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. They are not scared to be different and be judged, and for people to say, "Well, no, that's not right." No, that's not that's not what you think is right. But this is what I think is right. I think that it's time to change things a little bit. And it's okay. So the idea of like Miami as a canvas and the influence that it holds for us is so much deeper than just the ground that we stand on. It is a cultural connection that we have to food that we never knew. We don't know what would have happened in the last 50 years if they could actually have food to cook with. I think part of that, too, that cultural connection is there's a sense of ownership, and I think that's where a lot of this comes from. These people that have a sense of ownership, it was like, I know what a croqueta is, right? And we're using the croqueta as an example, but they'll say, I know what a... And that's what, I guess, makes them feel, and I'm speculating, you know, that, that they have a place to say... That's not right. That's not the way it should be done. Right. Because that's 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 their feeling ownership over this cultural connection. The same way that I guess they just don't understand that it, there's a creative process here. It's not just food. I, right? I think there's, there's also a creative a, element here. But there's a purpose to but this. But not just creativity. To do something different. To do something that's not the way it used to be. Go go deeper into somebody's persona. It's not just creativity. It's vulnerability. Absolutely. You are leaving yourself vulnerable to be judged, and I will say this a million times over. That's what creativity is. You, yes, yes. But also, when it's something that's so meaningful to you, like showcasing your abuela's beans frijoles recipe, it's much more than being creative. Now you're trying to go backwards to honor, to preserve a recipe that, to me, the ultimate goal in life is not to be, like, have a, to be super wealthy and to drive a Porsche. I don't even like Porsches. What I am saying is my goal is if I could ever write something in a book or somewhere and it 
has a connection to my grandparents. And in 50 years from now, someone that's of Cuban descent, that's from Pinar de Rio or whatever, picks up that recipe and it touches them somehow, in some way, that I will have done my job in my life to influence the world in a positive fashion. Yeah, I'm sure it feels great. That's a source of inspiration for you. And it's 100%. A, it's a source, the, those beans are a source of inspiration. And allowing them to be just as they are mm-hmm. and have them be an inspiration for someone else, like you're saying, down the line. Yeah, it's like, absolutely. I'd feel, I feel, I, I get where you're coming from. So I'm going to offer some praise for what you're doing. And then on the way there, I'm going to play a little bit of devil's advocate. I would expect nothing less. Sure. So I think part of what's... I don't want to say unique, and maybe I've, I feel like maybe I've made this point at some point in this podcast in another episode, but a thing that is different, at least, about Cuban food in Miami, uh, that it's sort of in a, in a small club, like you said, this is food that does not exist in Cuba anymore, but not because Cuba has moved on to, like, cuisine that it prefers. Right, right. Uh, and so I think maybe part of the resistance, and I'll, I'll admit to, like, having felt some of this, when I first learned of what Gio was doing with Patelitos, one of the first, like, gut-level reactions that I had was, like, what if this is a little chip away at the pastelito, right? At what the traditional pastelito is. Because unlike Mexicans or unlike Puerto Ricans, Puerto Ricans here can fuck with mofongo, and there's still Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico making mofongo. And that will live on over there. This is now, like, the weird time capsule that all that stuff lives in. And I can understand how on an emotional level, especially if you're older and you saw the loss of that cuisine in your home country, you might be thinking, okay, I respect what this guy's doing. He's clearly capable. If he doesn't carry that torch, who will? He's spending his time innovating when there isn't somebody back home preserving. We're Mm -hmm. counting on the next generation to preserve. And I think Cubans, and I think all of us, we're all the product of, of Cuban exile we're the sons of, of, of exiles I think we've all lived at some point some version of that like hey we're counting on you to preserve this like there's a there's a reason that like we all had it drilled into our heads like this is how a pumita works <laughs> right. and this is bigger than just like you're gonna like this this is like no you better fucking like this because right. if you don't who will um, yeah, but I think there's two things but, you said there. I don't think it's so much that the chipping away of the patelito because that's just change and change is inevitable and, and change, change is, is hard and change is... I get it, change whatever. Change is I inevitable, can, but, there, but, but hold on, but let me but the, finish the point that I was making. Pres- the preservation and the innovation thing that you were talking about, that, Guys, that makes sense. Fight. That makes sense. The preservation and Okay, innovation. yeah, but if you're chipping away, different. you're not preserving. Those are exact opposites. Well, no, you're either you, preserving you, a thing or you're breaking it well, down. Well, if you're, you preserve something, you, you preserve it, and if you're chipping away at something, okay, then it is a preserve. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. So, I want to hear the rest. Anyway, so I think that when a community is open enough to it, and this is what I've seen, you know, chronologically with, say, Chugs, eventually they realize, like, oh, okay, this is different, and yet I see the preservation in what you're doing. There, there are those beans. There, are, there is that element of Gio's Patelitos, that are what I've always known, and this is a a vehicle for preserving a lot of these things that we want to see preserved, and maybe this is sort of necessary. And then I'm going to be super cheesy, oh. only because I've been listening to this song on a loop for a long time lately. Cheesy. Are you familiar with Donato Poveda's Los Plantados? No. This is one of the most beautifully written 
songs about I think if more people knew this song they'd forget that Yabiene Yando even exists mm. and I think that there's an element of what you're talking about because there is a it's not just personal there's a there's a cause that you're fighting for on some level right because you know that this has disappeared from a place yeah yeah so I will read very cheesily this verse of this song apologies oh, to our non-Spanish speakers no I want to hear this so the song is about Cuban political prisoners okay but I think you can relate it to other things alright and this verse is ¿Qué es lo que pasa? ¿Dónde están los valientes? Saca la cara por tu propia gente. Haz algo por amor a tu tierra, que ya no es tuya, la perdiste en la guerra. No seas solamente un tomo y un folio, ojo por ojo, diente por diente. No creas en la venganza ni el odio, pero tampoco seas indiferente. So, nice. wow. I think that the, the reason that this came to mind is because I think some people are thinking like, oh, these people have forgotten. And then it's like, oh no, you eat the food, and you're like, no, these people are not indifferent. This matters. That's a perfect to quote. this. This matters to these guys. That's a perfect quote. Mm. That's what I would. That's the praise that I was building to before doing the devil's that. But I understand because I felt it. Even being somebody who was born here, mm. I understand that impulse of like, what's being lost with this creativity. Right. I would tell you this. Chipping back to the chipping away at the basalito and what that means, right? I think, looking at it through my lenses, when you first strike out on your own to do something that is inherently you and who you are, right? You want to do something that's going to differentiate you from everything else. That doesn't mean that once you create a foundation for yourself, you don't go back to the beginning and see if what was at the beginning right. you can do great right like you know me and Gio talk about the you know guayaba y queso crema we don't do that right well why don't we do that we don't do that because we want people to understand what pastelito papi means right and for me as being best friends with Gio forever I want Gio to say his story tell his story that doesn't mean that one day he won't go back to the beginning and say let me try to perfect this Yeah. with great ingredients. I think when you when you really talk to chefs or craftsmen or whatever that care about that, they will go back to the beginning. Yeah. You know, because the beginning is what got us to where we're at now. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, it always goes back to this, like, the creativity thing, you know, and, like, what inspires you. Yeah. It's very weird so, what could inspire a creative. So, you know, I think it's very easy for the three of us to talk about how Miami inspires you and the impact of Miami and all this and, and get stuck on the Cuba issue. Right. But I'm also curious about, I think that I imagine that, that your journey through food probably also not exposed you because you're always, I imagine that like, like anybody, you're aware of all these other things that exist in Miami, but you probably took a deeper dive into a lot of it. You've become more familiar, let's say with like, With uh, with what the Changs are doing, oh, and, yeah, yeah. and then Nikkei cuisine. Well, I was and, that I think, and what Pablo at, does, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking at uh, my my food, for example, Miami as a canvas. Like, there's so many things here that can inspire you, right? You know, like Haitian cuisine, what the Changs do with Peruvian food, but even like like deeper. I remember eating Peruvian food as a kid with my dad and like 
I remember first time I ate their food, it reminded me of something I ate with my dad when I was a kid. And it's like, I, I never recalled that moment until I ate their food. And then that's why I admire their food so much. And that's why I eat their food like once a week. So are there, are there things on your menus that you would point to as, as maybe being reflective of those non-Cuban influences sure. that are related to Miami? Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, our ceviche, 100%, is like nothing, there's nothing on that that's Cuban at all whatsoever. Um, you know, like the salad you just saw me eat, the mango salad, that, like that, that's some weird combination of like Italian, Miami mangoes, right. fruit low honey, just like very clean more reflective of like the Miami environment right now because it's mango season, right? Um, our, our pork chop is a very interesting dish because the protein always stays the same, but the setup morphs to the season. So like this one is this, um, like the pork itself always reminds me of my grandfather's like Gajina. Right, because something about the brine, and then when we slightly smoke it and we finish it on the grill, like that combination to me, it's just like sweet and salty and crispy, and then we keep the fat cap on it. So it reminds me of like childhood, like eating kachina, right? But then the setup always changes, and it could be so reflective of so many different cultures. Like right now, it's like jerk calabaza, which has nothing to do with anything that's Cuban at all right. whatsoever, and it's just. And it goes on and on and on. And it continues to go that way. Like our grilled local fish setup is like very Caribbean, but not Cuban. You know, co uh, shellfish coconut broth. Um, I don't know. The, the influences in Miami are so vast. Yeah, it's important to, we focus on the Cuban thing, but it's, it's a lot more than the, just the Cuban stuff. The, the Cuban thing to us is personal. Correct. The Cuban thing to me is personal. And that's why it's something that we talk about first and foremost. But when you look at the area menu, like, there's nothing that's 100% Cuban. You know, like, I... But there's certainly frita, an inspiration maybe. there. Yeah, right. Yeah, the, the, frita. the frita, probably the flan. You know, but the flan, we make it with mushrooms. Like, I know my grandmother would be like, what is that? <laughs> what are you doing? That's that not make, flan. That doesn't make any sense. Why are you putting sambuca on a flan? Hongo. Stop. Stop it. So, I don't know. I think a huge part of it now, too, in this, like time that we're living in is the community aspect of it like the fact that there's so many chefs that really support each other so many food and beverage people that support each other there's so many like um collaborations happening there's so many people i don't know it's just this very it's environment that everyone is so welcoming it's inviting and, it, and everyone wants everyone to succeed everyone wants to see that person it's in contagious. that restaurant you feel it well yeah but i think that is the key to a community growing to a place that not only are we going to be great then people are going to start to fucking notice yeah and that's really I, to me this is the competitive aspect of who i am that's something that also keeps me up at night and wakes me up early in the morning is the fact that we need to keep pushing we cannot be okay with where we're at it's nice we're doing a fine job but how can we do more how, we, how can we continue to push the envelope? All that stuff. And I think we're living in a, an interesting time right now. Right. And it's an exciting to see 
where it goes in the next five to ten years. Talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned people starting to notice. Talk some about um, what you've seen among, let's call them diners, uh, and how that's changed over the course of your career in Miami. Their their awareness, yeah, their openness to some of this change, their awareness of of what that community you're talking about is doing. Um, Because I think it's, it's probably pretty easy if you're not engaged with whether it's uh, food journalism or if you're, if you're not making the effort to dive deeper, you're just kind of finding out like, oh, the food here is good, the food there is good, and then you're going out and you're having dinner, you're having lunch, and, and you don't really develop an appreciation for what else. Mm-hmm. All these things that you're saying is behind that. Have you noted uh, a difference there? I think we have seen more willingness to try new things. Okay. And I don't know, I have like this, um, people like to say that I keep it weird. I don't think that I keep it weird personally. I think the food, like our food is very straight up and to the point. And, um, but I see people not shying away from yeah. things. What, like, kind, what kinds of people say you keep it weird? Because uh, oh, some, I, sometimes I, I hear that. I've heard those references to you keeping it weird. Yeah. And I think what... I wonder how much of that is coming from people who are relatively new to Miami. Mm. Because what I see that I sometimes wonder, I wonder if this is what people are talking about, is that your approach is maybe sort of irreverent, which is very Miami. Mm. It doesn't take itself seriously in the sense that, yeah, I'll put this fucking awesome burger on the same menu as caviar and the charcuterie menu, yeah, that's a very Miami thing to do to me. Even if there is no Latin influence and there's no, you know, Caribbean whatever, and there are no mangoes, like just that attitude is a very Miami way to approach it. Well, I like Ariet is to me you coming to dine with me in my home, right? And that's why it's cool to be to okay to get like caviar and a frita and some foie gras and then a flan with mushrooms in it because that's how my mind thinks like I want to try some weird shit that's what you would do yeah like to to me I'm okay with eating yeah yeah, like eating some different stuff and there's not the pretense that people might and I think sometimes people associate Miami with a lot of pretense but but that's that's like this little pocket that also goes back to conversations we've had in the past that's like you shed this idea of like who people want you to be and what you should be, man. Fuck that. Just be who you want to be. And it, I often, uh, I'll be like, you know, I want to do uh, a beef tongue dish, right? I went, oh, you know, no one's going to buy that. Well, doesn't matter. We're going to try. And because you know, what's the famous quote? Like, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Uh-huh. And it's 100% true. If you don't try, you never know. But, you know, we also have, like, the mango salad. Like, people love that. And people will order a fuck ton of it. Now, the beef tongue tartine, maybe we sell one to every eight mango salads. But that we still sold the one. So, we're... that To me, that's great. Calves liver, foie gras, all that stuff. You know, like, we'll sell some of it. Venison. People are like, you know, I, I just don't know about venison. I'm like, well, have you ever... Have you had it? No, not really. Okay, well... giving people the opportunity to try something. Because if they, they've never had it, they don't have an opportunity to order it. They don't right. know what it tastes like. At but least you're giving But also, the, ven- the venison... See, like, the, that venison dish is not even kind of Cuban. No. That venison dish, to me, 
touches on a time when I lived in another state and like the little twice baked potato and like all that stuff. Like to me, that's, it's a very different time in my life. I'll, I'll note, by the way, hopefully you get something out of this. You remember that I, I had a friend of mine here just before her deployment with her yeah. dad and her brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's a hunter and they eat venison for a big chunk of the year that he hunts himself. They're very proud of it. And when I told them, when they were in Miami having just done crab and whatever the fuck else they ate, they came here and I was like, we're having venison. And they went into it with more than a little bit of skepticism. And as soon as they started eating, they were like, holy shit, this is, this is serious. I mean, uh, I they were huge, huge fans. So the venison is not uh, a shitty Miami mango people attempt at venison. That's a serious venison that venison people appreciate. And I appreciate them. Yeah. What do you think, uh, you said before, what this scene will look like in five to ten years? What would you like it to be? What do you think it could be in 10 years? I think there's going to be a time that people look at Miami the way that they looked at Charleston when Sean Brock was there. You know, Sean Brock changed the narrative of Charleston cuisine, and so did Mike Lotta uh, at FIG. And I was lucky enough to eat at FIG um, when I was in Charleston a couple months back, and it was incredible like one of the best meals i've ever had so i think i think there will be a time that that happens and that um people start to realize we're not just like a tourist trap right which i think a lot of that happens and to me i think when you look at the like what part of miami inspires you it's interesting because there's different parts of miami that make me feel very like I fucking love this place. Yeah. Like, you know, you're just getting on the I-95 to the expressway to go north. Or you're, like, just riding down 87th. And for us guys that went to Bel Air, Columbus, that's, like, a big deal because we spent a lot of time on 87th Ave. You know, uh, going to Lopinareños in Little Havana, having a coffee. Yeah. Uh, just, like, all those, like, little things, they really, to me, they mean the world to me. Yeah. So... That's why I'm glad I never made that decision to leave. So uh, I think we're probably coming up on the end of this thing. Yeah. Uh, what I want to end on, especially for the sake of making it a little, you know, relatable to people who are not from here, I, I wonder what some of the more like universal lessons you've learned over the because these are not realizations that you came to the minute you stepped into a kitchen about what Miami meant to your approach to food. It took some exploration, I imagine. It took some. Some thinking, some, some writing, time. some reflection, some t- trial and error, maybe. Failure. And some failure. Lots. What are the things that, like, if you were talking to somebody from another town that hadn't quite figured out, like, I don't know how to figure out, and it might not even be in food, but, you know, I don't know how to figure out what, where I come from, how to make that come through and what I'm doing. What was that like for you? Like, is there something you could say that might, like, help somebody get there faster than you did? Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's definitely no fast track to that. Sure. Because, I mean, even me, myself, I find myself learning more every day how much this thing all means to me. So I think everyone's journey is different, you know. So if I were to tell anyone anything, it would be to, to shed that idea of what you think people want you to be. Be vulnerable. And just, yeah, be vulnerable. Try things. 
fail. Just and don't be scared to put who you are out there. Because no matter what, if you don't do it, they will judge you. If you do do it, they will judge you. So why not be judged for who you really are instead of being judged for someone that you think is going to be accepted? Fuck that. It's fine. Be okay with failing. It's whatever, Doug. It's whatever. Be yourself. I, you know, I, I, I made a that kid, Danny, that from yeah. that was in Croatia. The booty dancer. The booty dancer. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I was a little I pulled. I pulled him aside today and I asked him a couple questions about, you know, like, do you see the direction that we're going in, and do you understand why? And one of the proudest things I could say is that everything he said, he understood why we're doing what we're doing and why we are doing certain things to change certain things to make things better or to move in a certain direction to me that meant the world that means that it's sticking some of the things that i say not all of them will stick yeah you know and if you believe in them enough and you say them enough they will stick yeah so i think this was uh great and this was awesome we'll call this post service podcast there you go post service podcast yeah so uh with that i'm gonna do some of our usual shameless plugging Mm -hmm. you can subscribe to pangong podcast on all of the podcast things that includes uh apple podcast google play music soundcloud stitcher iHeartRadio. i can't believe we're on iHeartRadio, but we're on that we are. We're on iHeartRadio. Better believe it. I asked, I asked my dad if he subscribed to this, and he was like, "Oh, are you on iHeartRadio?" And so I was like, "I guess we better be." Uh, so now we're on iHeartRadio and a whole bunch of other things. You can find past episodes at dademag.com. That's d-a-d-e-m-a-g.com/slash Pangong Podcast. Follow us on all the social media things at Pangong Podcast. Uh, you can get in touch with us on all the social media things, but also uh, by emailing us at podcast at dademag.com uh, you can do that if you want to send angry letters or <laughs> high praise or offers to advertise or, or whatever or all, or three. all three of those things uh, you can you can you know do all those things uh, and then finally I will note that uh, you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash dademag and for as little as a buck a month you can support what we're doing and we will be doing all kinds of uh, little perks and for that's people. that's a dollar, right? Not a male deer? Correct, yes. Uh, and also not like a sand dollar, uh, but like a U.S. dollar. Uh, and so support us there. There's all kinds of free. And that's a way to also support the other things that Dave does. And there is more coming down the pike. Um, not sure exactly what that exclusive stuff will be, but there will be stuff. It will be exclusive, too. I'd like to say... That our next podcast will be with other people. It will be with our next. There will be a lot of other people. We have been working diligently to bring you guests, so you're not just listening to me and the two, the three of us talk for an hour. Right. People with stuff. People with stuff, and it's exciting stuff. It's exciting stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, My favorite podcasts are the ones where I don't say a word. Uh, So I'm, I'm looking forward to more of that. As hard as that may be to believe, uh, those are my favorite ones. And I know that uh, – I think we can go ahead and plug the one we'll be recording on Monday. Mario Obergon. Mario Obergon, oh, Mario who, who is uh, the uh, – fair to call him the front man of uh, Problem Kids. Problem Kids. If you're, if you're not familiar with Problem, Problem Kids. Kid. 
If you're not familiar with the Problem Kids, I would say before next week's episode, go listen to some Problem Kids stuff, uh, and you will you will have a good time between a, between this and the next episode. He's an incredible human being. So, all right. So with that, we're signing off. We're gonna pack up all this stuff, and uh, that's it. Take care.